Hello everybody and welcome to this special year-end episode of Balls and Whistles. Of course, a Highland news and media podcast looking at what's been going on in the world of sport. Now, usually at that point I would say this week, but this week's episode is a little bit different and next week's will be too. Because it's the end of the year and things are as busy as ever as we try to put together these newspapers around about Christmas and New Year, and of course because there are so many games going on at the minute for Ross County in particular, playing twice a week pretty much all the time, we have decided not to take a couple of weeks off, but just to, to slightly ease our workload by not recording new episodes of Balls and Whistles for this week and for next week. So what we're going to do instead is have a wee look back at some of the highlights of the year, some of the discussions that we've had, maybe some of the things we predicted and we can see how right or how very, very wrong we've gotten them at times over this year. Um, of course, we're coming up for a full year of Balls and Whistles as well. So it's a little bit interesting just to go back and see how how we've changed and how we've developed the show over the last year or so. So I really hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. A bit of a, a trip down memory lane. It's the first time we've really done this on Balls and Whistles, so hopefully it's something a bit different that sticks out for all of you. We're going to start way back at our very first episode, joined for this one by Johnny Clark, as we discuss then, going back to last season, the potential fate of the Highland League after play was suspended all the way back in January. With games being so few far between, it makes it a lot easier if they are going to just call the season now, doesn't it? Like it, it wouldn't be so controversial. And then if they were three quarters of the way through, like we were last season, yeah, I think the Highland League. I, I totally agree with well. I, I've been on the Highland League side. I think they've done um, nearly everything right at every step of the way. They've also been given probably two generous hands of cards because the first time round it was an obvious call to to give Broda the lead that they were inevitably going to win in any case. And this time round, I think, as Will says, they're null and void. I don't think any clubs will complain massively. Obviously, there's still the hope, and I think all three of us probably hope that the league can go ahead. Um, as football fans, people want to see football played. But aye, if common sense is going to prevail, I think it's it's looking pretty unlikely at the moment. By the time you get the game started again... I mean, it's a three-week delay. Let's be realistic and say it's going to be more like the end of February, start of March, absolute earliest. Um, and even that's probably pushing it. It looks unlikely it will finish it. But uh, as I say, the hope's there. But at the moment, if you put Forest Mechanics, who are the only team to pull out of the season, into the table, they would be 11th out of 17. Because you know, Strathspey haven't played. And then you've got five teams who are yet to register a point. So... It's not exactly a difficult call for them to make if they do want to null and void it. Um, just wonder about the timing of that call as well, because I know I think they were planned to meet on Monday this week before the leagues were actually called below the championship. I was just kind of wondering if they would have met anyway and, and called a null and void. But um, it's a difficult one um, in terms of whether they actually, or when they call it. But uh, I don't think anybody's going to complain club-wise if... if um, if it is null and voided. The decision was made last month for you to leave the club. I wasn't at the match that day. I was following it on social media and seeing your post-match interview was amazing, I thought. Just for you to have the honesty and the courage to come out and say what you did. You've said quite a lot over the years. You have no intention of ever being on social media. Were you aware of the reaction that that got in the moment? No. Well, I think I maybe was 
from the messages and the phone calls that I had had that night. Again, I took something for Stephen that, that a lot of people probably don't do and maybe one or two people that listen to this will call me up on it, but I genuinely tried to reply to every single text message, every WhatsApp, every phone call that anybody's ever made to me, even emails, everything. I try and reply to absolutely everything that I possibly can. And again, it was just something that Stephen had pitched out to me a while back when I started doing the development job that you always bring a clarity to a situation. You always bring an end to a situation just by responding. Um, you know, Andrew, you've messaged me and I've replied to you, which was in actual fact the case, and as many other people had done. That's always been the way I've done it. So, you know, the Saturday night once I was sacked, I was inundated with contact for so many people, family, friends, people in the game, people that have been in the game are now out the game and all the rest of it, all different levels. And I was blown away with it. And on the Saturday night, I actually sat and tried to get through every single one of them. I wanted to take care of that situation, not to make it go away, but I just wanted to thank people for having me in their thoughts and taking the time to, to contact me, really. Um, and it was probably at that point that it was flagged up about what I'd done because I never really thought too much about it at the time. Um, you know, I'd spoke to a press guy at the time as we were walking into the track side and I just mentioned to him, I says, look, I've just been sacked, but I'm going to go and speak to the press guys. And Big Dale's a good guy, Andrew, you know, I, I thought he was going to have a fit. You know, I thought he was going to, he was, he was fit to be tied at, at the time we started flapping a wee bit and saying, how, how are you going to do it? And and it's not for effect, it's just I felt as if I'd spoken to everybody. I felt as if I'd dealt with everybody in every scenario as the manager and every other situation that I've been asked to face up, I felt as if I'd faced them up and, and I felt I would let myself down and maybe let my family down if I didn't then go and front it up myself and go and say it in my words. Of course, it's difficult to do it, but I just felt I wanted it to be me. I wanted it to be my words rather than somebody coming out and making a statement on my behalf because I'd... I don't believe in it. I've always tried to speak on behalf of myself um, throughout time and probably as time rattles on in this podcast here, um, you'll get a vibe that I'm no for stopping talking, but I genuinely want to speak for myself. Um, I tried to get round as many of the players as I could in the stadium. You know, I've seen in situations before where the manager brings the players in the next day and we all sit in a lounge and tells everybody how wonderful they are and how unlucky we've been and that side, it's only words as far as I'm concerned. I have a huge amount of respect for a lot of people at football clubs, still do, always will. You know, that, 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 that doesn't change. Still want the football club to be successful, still want me to win. But that whole idea, dragging it out, knowing that there was a midweek game coming, knowing that potentially some of the guys that were already in the building were going to be asked to take the team, there might be a new manager coming in, whatever it was. I didn't want to drag that out for any longer than it had to be because I didn't need anybody to pat me in the back. I didn't need them to give me a cuddle. I'm, I'm fine. I'll be I'll be all right. And it's no that it doesn't hurt me and I don't care. It's the polar opposite for that. I do. And and that's my thinking that I, I didn't want the whole sideshow to be about me and poor me and everybody to feel sorry for me because, again, I would give my own kids into trouble for feeling sorry for themselves and for, for wanting that wee bit of extra attention and stuff like that. So, again, it's just no, no something that I, I believe in. Um, and, and from that angle, um, I was a wee bit blown away by the response from, from everybody. Sometimes you just have that gut feeling to do something and it seemed like the right thing for me to do at the time. I spoke to all the players, to their credit, after the game. 
be it through text, be it through phone calls, every one of them's been wished all the best. Every one of them, I hope to succeed. I hope they go and do well for Ross County. I hope to see a number of them kicking on through their careers and all of that sort of stuff. And, and it was just basically get behind the next guy that's there and make sure you give them their all. Make sure you give the football club everything that you've got. And as I say, you can sit here and be bitter and you can call people out and, and do all that side of things that I think life's just a bit short for all of that. I think it's just a case of me probably focusing on where I need to go next and what I need to do next in, in life. And and that's what I'm fully intent on doing. And, and hopefully I could be half as successful as what I have been um, in my period of time at Ross County. And, and not me being successful, hopefully I can be a part of something that's as successful because it doesn't have to give you some brilliant memories and it doesn't have to make you feel good about yourself sometimes when you when you cast your mind back and do things like this and you and you start to talk about it. I should say, first of all, before we go any further, um, can, can everyone um, at our newspaper like to offer their condolences to John Robertson and also to Scott Killicker. We hope he gets well soon because we heard um, he's not doing great with his illness. So far, he is improving. Um the one thing about Neil McCann, uh, I got from the press conferences, he's a very competitive person. Um, one of the first questions that was asked was, you're playing Hearts uh, tonight as we are going out, and then you're playing Dundee on Tuesday, your former club. Uh, it didn't matter to him who they were playing. As a manager, he wants to win. Not saying he's got something to prove. He, he's come to Inverness more to help out his friend John. Um one of the main reasons why he took up the job was he spoke to John first before saying yes. Um, John's given him like just an update on the, the team situation there, um, the pros and cons of each player. Um, so Neil feels like he can go in tonight's game full of confidence that they can take a victory. You know, football is in my blood, you know, and I, and I love I love the, the game. Um and if I thought I could, I could help John out. You know, he's an old friend. Uh, I said yesterday within the, the first interview with the with the club that when you do things as uh, as, as great as we did with the, the ninety eight win, you know, it creates a, a real lasting bond. So, you know, John and I have been friends now for a number of years, and I felt if I can step into the breach, help him out, and at the coal face, then uh, then I would do. And I'm hoping that I can come in and have an impact uh, with the team. Uh, can't come in and just change it because essentially this is John's team. Um, obviously, I need to do my own things uh, with the side. Um, and John's been great with that to actually give me the, the freedom that he said, look, uh, Terry, just go and do what you've got to do. But I'm hoping that I can then hand the team over to John when he's ready to come back, whenever that is, uh, and we're in a good place. Um, but yeah, there's probably extra pressure because it's not as if I'm coming in here and this is, I'm going for the job. Um, and I'm trying to do an addition here. It's not an addition. I don't see it as that at all. It's not. I don't want the job from John. I'm only uh, trying to help him out and, and try and do as well as I can with the group in order that he's ready to come back. So there's a pressure on that that I want to perform for him. But to be honest, you know me as a guy now, I'm, I'm pretty competitive. Um, I set high standards um, of myself and, and what I'm doing. And, and, and I want to do the best I can do for myself for the club, and of course, John. What do you make of our, would you, would you have it? I mean, I feel like we've talked about this off air before and you haven't been a particularly big supporter of it. Am I misremembering that? <laughs> um, well, how often is Barr wrong, though? 
the, the, yeah. the, it's, it, it's, it's the rules that I don't like, um, especially with the offside situation. I think it should always be judged on the feet. It really wrangles with me when I see a player given offside because his head's in front of the last defender, because his arm is in front of the last defender, because his finger is in front of the last defender. Whatever body part is in front of the defender is counted offside. We'll leave that there. But it should always be judged on the feet. You know, that where you stand, as far as I'm concerned, that should be the only reason you should be given offside. Before that, I always think that's what the linesman always judged it on. That's what VR should judge offside on. It just, you know, I spill my tea every time I see another body part being given offside. To, um, but like I said, how often is VAR actually wrong? You know, people might not like it, but it's supposed to be 100% correct. Supposed to be 100% correct. Supposed to be, I probably, yeah. I'd probably give it 99% correct because at the end of the day, it's still the referee's final decision, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little surprised at how positive you were about it there because I was fully anticipating having to say I'm one of the few that will defend VAR. <laughs> I'm not against VAR, but it's the way it's used. It's the way it interprets the rules that gets to me. I'm all for fair play. I'm all for following the rules, but there has to be specific guidelines. The offside one just really wrangles with me. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's more often than not when people complain about VAR, it's VAR's implementation of the rule, not the process itself, not the technology itself. And the rules just haven't kept up with the technology that's available to us. And that's more the issue. And I think when it comes to like a handball, that's changed so much over the last few years anyway. I'm not entirely sure most people know what it is. So to then go and criticise VAR for making a decision on that, I'm not sure. I think you have to give them a little bit of leeway or at least assume they know better than you do as a fan, personally. In terms of handball, VAR has the technology to know how far the ball has been struck from a certain distance to hit a player's hand. That's what handball should be judged on. Um, if you're right close to the defender and it hits him, I don't think that's a handball, but if, say there's like five yards space, something like that, and there's time for the defender or the other player to remove their hand away, that's what handball should be judged on. So I'm not against VAR, but just improve the rules. The thing I always come back to is why can other sports use this sort of technology and football can't? I mean, you see it in rugby all the time. The TMOs are such a, a normal part of the game that nobody bats an eyelid at. You see Hawkeye with tennis, which I guess is more like goal line technology, to be fair, and there aren't many complaints about that. You see a decision review system in cricket, and, you know, in cricket, they try to go with the on-field umpire as often as possible. And that means there's a margin of error, basically, when it comes to LBWs, that if not enough of the ball is hitting not enough of the wicket or there's a reasonable cause for doubt, it just sticks with the on-field decision. And I wouldn't be against that for offside. You know, if, if you said if it's within 10 centimetres, you go with whatever the on-field decision was, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. The problem is that, whatever distance you pick is an arbitrary choice. And there's always going to be a complaint if you pick 10 centimetres and it's 11 centimetres. You could also go, American football uses it as well with coaches being able to review decisions. There's, there's so many other sports that use this. It's just, you know, it, it's just the way we're going. Why can't football do it? 
if anything, it's added to the spectacle of rugby union. It's it's really worked well for that. It adds to the drama and suspense of the game. Uh, Hawkeye, like you said, for tennis, you can't imagine it without it. Even full players are, are only given certain challenges to use up, and if they get it wrong, the challenges are taken away. Yeah, uh, and it should work for football, but there just seems to be a lot of resentment towards it. And it, it's maybe not the technology; it's just maybe the interpretation of the rules as we go back to so it might be just a case of changing the guidelines and maybe in football you, you, in the stadiums you don't actually get to see um the review process yeah communication uh, is a huge issue with VAR yeah whereas you do in rugby union uh, well in in the internationals anyway you know when um, it goes to the TMO the actual replays are actually put on the big screen so the fans can actually watch that. So maybe there needs to be more interaction. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. It, it's the same in cricket. You maybe don't hear the, all of the conversations, but you see it happening on the screen and you can kind of work out what's being said and what's being judged. And, you know, one of the, the big arguments against VAR is that it slows down the game. You know, people don't know whether to celebrate goals, whatever. I'm sorry, I don't buy that. Maybe it's different when you're actually playing the game, but from a fan's perspective, if you score, celebrate. If there's then a check and it gets given, celebrate again. It's double the celebration. If it gets overturned, get on with the game. There's a reason for it. You know, I don't know if that's a culture thing, maybe more for football, that there's outrage when there isn't in other sports, but... I don't know. I'm again. I'm probably in the minority for that, but I don't buy that as an argument against getting the right decision, especially when, as we saw last weekend with County, you know, if that was the last game of the season and they got relegated because of that, people would lose jobs because of a bad refereeing call. That is mm-hmm. not worth the risk of some fans being slightly upset that a goal was rightly overturned. Surely, there have been proposals seem to be put forward this week about a little bit of a reformatting to League Two. There are proposals that Highland League clubs, Lonely clubs and Rangers and Celtic cult teams are going to be added to the division. We've talked quite a lot on the podcast before about promotion from the Highland League and how much of a shame it would be if the permanent playoff couldn't take place this season. Is it worth cult teams to get another couple of Highland League teams up in League Two? What do we think, guys? Well, if I could start off, I mean, I'm, I'm really for this one because for me, the national team has suffered for years by the old firm sort of creaming off some of the best talent, but not really giving it the breathing space. And I know there's a strong argument, obviously, to say that why should the old firm have this privilege when, when no one else does? But, you know, it's for the good of the Scottish game. And I think we're, we're coming to a kind of crunch period now when, when it's all brought into focus with what Steve Clark has achieved. But we've still got such a lack of depth in the national squad. I would love to see players developing in real men's football and see how that benefits us in the next decade, to be honest with you. Well, I think I see a bit of a wry smile on your face. What do you make of it? I think it would bastardise Scottish football, to be fair. Tell us how you really feel. I have, well, if, if Rangers and Celtic want to enter Colts teams, why can't they start the West of Scotland League to begin with and make their way up the pyramid system like everyone else has? There's been all this effort about setting up... Um, new divisions for non-league teams to progress. And then all of a sudden, Rangers and Celtic want to have reserve teams in League Two, just like that. Now, it doesn't sit right with me. Um, the, the whole fact that 
league reconstruction was dismissed last season when it should have been made the first priority and no team should have been relegated. And if they're going to scrap the playoffs, at least let the, the runners-up get promoted. You know, that, that was a big case for having league reconstruction and the clubs just dismissed it. No, I'm not for this at all. Get this in the bin. I, I would come back on that one and just say, you know, I think there's got to be a time when we put all this uh, sort of conflict. The old firm, don't get me wrong, I totally agree with Will. The old firm are at the core of most of the conflict in Scottish football because their interests clash directly with smaller clubs and the majority of clubs. But I just feel for the good of the Scottish game, we've got to maybe rise above it a wee bit and begin to, and sure, if Will wants to send them down to the local street league, first of all, and see how many years, we, we might be talking about the 2035, 36 season by the time they're up uh, anywhere decent. But, you know, you know, I mean, it, my my strongest feeling on it is is for the national team. And that's, I, I would I would take a lot of sort of argument against that. I can sense that they're, they're actually trying to hit clubs at a vulnerable time at the moment. I've noticed that there's a a bit of a financial sweetener being involved here and how much how much money clubs can gain. And that's going to be a real incentive at the moment. I think over the next five years, they're talking about maybe £100,000 gain for these clubs. The, the, the Rangers and Celtic Colt teams aren't going to get any financial gain out of it as a result. Um, but but there's, there is a vulnerability about the Scottish lower league clubs at the moment. And I can sense that the timing of this, this call for reconstruction, although they're they're trying to to sort of make football generally better on their whole. I feel I feel that there needs to be a sort of settling in period at the moment. I think for clubs to actually find their feet, um, and I would just stay with the status quo at the moment and maybe revisit it a year or two down the line. Uh, that's my my view. I'm not sure if, if all clubs are definitely going to survive uh, over the next couple of years the way things have gone through coronavirus. Craig, I would say, I, I agree with you, actually. Um, I, I would say, though, there's a good opportunity for the smaller clubs to play hardball in this and try and work together and get a better financial deal out of it, maybe. And, you know, I, I would bring in other um, sort of elements to it. I would like to see, you know, a straight promotion from the Highland League um, if that was what the champions of Highland League desired uh, rather than, you know, this playoff system, which is kind of geared... A wee bit against them. I would like to see, you know, more. I would, I would like to see the Colt idea expanded beyond just the old firm as well. I think the, I think there's scope for a broadening of the kind of lower, maybe a fifth division rather than 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 a fourth tier change. You know, so it's maybe maybe some sort of regionalized element to 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 kick it all off. So I think there's loads of options. I don't think we should just be steamrolled by what um, they they want at Ibrox and Parkhead. You know. It's interesting to, to see that they've, they've just picked out these numbers. It's Rangers Celtic plus two Highland League clubs and two Lowland League clubs that they want as part of the 16-team division for next season. Now, I think, personally, you know, having spoken to you know, a number of people involved in the Highland League, I don't think there's a great interest in the Highland League to step up to senior level. And, and the exception is obviously broader Rangers who are you know, they're desperate and they've got the setup, they're geared up to go. Who else in the Highland League is really keen to, to join a national setup? Uh, Bucky Thistle did a, a recent thing where they polled their fans. That was their recent title success for themselves. The fans were polled. The committee have never been in favour of it. And Graham Stewart, the manager, recently came out and talked about summer football being an option, which would really 
you know, wipe out any Highland League football standing in, in the, the pyramid system because they would be running in different months. Uh, the Bucky fans, incidentally, came out and said, overwhelmingly, they're quite happy to stay within the, the North Circles. So there isn't a great appetite for, for national football, I don't think, at Highland League level. So whether you could actually get two clubs to be interested in, in stepping up is another question. Fraserburgh is another team in the option. I don't know where they stand, if they wanted to join their neighbours, Peterhead, in, in the setup or not. Whereas in contrast, there's a big appetite in the Lowland League. There's, there's several clubs there who are keen to, to make the step up. And it's it's geographical, really, because they're, they're in the central belt. And obviously, they're, they're not going to have to do a lot more travel as a result, really, because most of the clubs are in their neck of the woods. I think you've got clubs like Fermartin who are certainly ambitious, you know, and you've always got the likes of Banks of D. You can't, you, they've, they've been thwarted even getting into the Highland League. But, you know, I, I think there are clubs in the Aberdeenshire area, uh, certainly. But the other thing is, you know, it changes from from regime to regime. You know, Brora Rangers were very against it under the previous regime. They're very for it now um, under William Powery. Yeah, they're, they're all, all systems go. I think I did a a recent story on the subject of Graham Stewart, the Bucky Thistle manager, talking about there being a lack of appetite uh, in the Highland League. And it was out in a tweet, I think Brora responded to the tweet, saying that there is plenty of appetite from, from us to, to be part of the you know the, the main setup and to get into League Two. There's still a lot of ill feeling about how it was worked out last season. And all the reconstruction was buried. I just don't see it happening again this time. I have to be perfectly honest. It may just be a little bit too soon but maybe a little bit further down the line they could revisit it. And I think that's fair enough. I, th I think if the League Two clubs vote uh, and League One clubs vote against it, I think that should be respected. I think if the Highland League clubs are not for it, that should be respected. But I think we've got to look at a better system than what we have now because, you know, I think there's a cliff edge for talent in this country. I think players are comparable to the best in Europe up to the age of 16, 17, and then they can't make that leap. Into, into senior, you know, proper men's football. Um, too many of them can't make that leap. And, and that worries me, you know, so we, we've got to find some sort of solution to that. It'd be very easy to talk up Hart's failings and ignore just what a performance it was from Brora. It really was a wonderful night. And, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to remember a performance by a team that was so, just so committed. We were pretty early in the game the first 10 minutes even, and they were throwing their bodies behind the ball and putting their bodies on the line in the way that, you know, you usually see in the last 10 minutes of games, not in the opening 10 minutes of games. That's how, how well Hearts actually started the game. And that's, that's you know, that's one thing to remember, that Hearts actually started the game very well. They started at pace, which is what I think Robbie Nielsen would have wanted against a team that hadn't played a lot of football. But Brora stood up to it, and what a goal they, they started with. Jordan McRae, who's obviously at Nairn County before, uh, he's a talent, and he rocket, he absolutely rocketed the ball into the top corner. It was a wonderful moment, and I wonder just how much that played on Hearts psychologically. You know, they suddenly realised they didn't have to just break down Brora, they had to defend as well. And I, th I think um, as the game unfolded, Brora were always capable of hitting them on the break, which was, it was good to see, you know, it j just a tremendous advert for, for the Highland League. I was at the, the Bucky Cali Thistle game. I was following this on social media from afar. It would have been quite easy to assume that adrenaline might have gotten through that opening spell, especially going to the lead. It would have just kept them going. But then once Hearts got that equaliser, 
I did fear for them and I thought their chance had gone, but they responded just incredibly well to get back in the lead from there. They did. Um, I think we all thought that, you know, we, we thought, oh, well, here you go. And I know myself and some of my colleagues in the press were rewriting our intros, preparing for a Hearts victory at that point. But immediately, Brora, it, one of the players put, put it afterwards like this. In fact, I think it was Jordan McRae himself. He said, we suddenly realised that this was going to be our season over. And we might as well just give, you know, he said as well, he said, we wouldn't, you know, if we'd lost the game, we wouldn't see each other for four months. And we just decided we we may as well empty the tank and have a go at them. And they got a couple of set pieces of the Dutch lad, um, Bjorn Wagener. He sent one just over the bar and he sent another one flashing across the box, which Martin McLean just took beautifully, you know, the calmest of half volleys right into the top of the net. So... That was that was brilliant. And you know what? I talking about intros as a from a journalistic perspective, I started writing it as a Barora victory because I I just sensed hearts wouldn't come back after that. And they, they didn't. They were beaten. They tried, obviously, a little bit. They pressured a little bit, but it was just fantastic from Brora. And as I say, as spirited a performance I think I've seen in 25 years working in this game. It hasn't been that long, has it? It might have been more actually. <laughs> <laughs> let's say 20 years yeah let's just go for that it's interesting though you're saying like Jordan McRae they thought during the match that this is our season over I think going yeah. into it when you know I'd talked to Ronnie Sharp the Nairn manager he was kind of saying that as a negative people would be thinking is it worth coming back for this one game but that seemed to really inspire Brewer in the moment it did in the course of the game, you know, it's exactly that. And it probably says a lot about their mindset that, that they're used to winning games. And, you know, it, that's what they did against a team that sees itself as a premiership team. And I mean, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on where you think this stands as a shock. I mean, there's been debate in the last couple of days as to whether this is actually the, the biggest shock. And I know Will, in his uh, characteristic fashion, has told us it definitely is the biggest shock. So I, th- I suppose we just have to accept that. Yeah, I mean, if he's decreed it, it must be true. It must be, yes. So it's not worth debating unless you want to add anything to it. Well, there's obviously been a lot of talk about comparing it to Cali Thistle, I think probably just because they're both teams from this sort of area. But it's quite easy to forget. That was a huge shock, not downplaying whatsoever. But Cali Thistle are only one tier below Celtic at that point. Yeah. You know, there's, what, three leagues between Brewer and Hearts? The only other one I've seen come up on social media that's that's comparable to and might just edge it out is Fraserburgh against Dundee back in the 60s. But really, like that's that's so far before my time. I, I can't quantify how big of a shock that was, really. So I'm not going to try and say that was definitely bigger. That definitely wasn't. I was hoping to catch you out in that one, actually. And uh, I know you're <laughs> from the Brock, so I was I was hoping that you would forget about that one. But I think it was 1959, wasn't it? And then there was obviously 1967, Berwick Rangers beat Rangers. And I wonder if, you know, if, we, if we're really going to be analytical about it, probably that is a bigger shock. But Brora are A, a part-time team, B, a part-time team who had played once competitively this year, and they hadn't played in over two months. They'd only managed five training sessions this year because of restrictions and difficulties. It's just a superhuman effort, really, from a set of players who play for a love of the game, you know. Um, and that's shown through. And I mean, it, it was just, if you've been to Brora, which I'm, I know you have, it's a lovely, welcoming club. There were some great individuals there who transcend the whole successful Brora period. 
you know, I'm sure there have been a lot of people have come behind the club as it's become more successful. But I was really pleased for some of the people like John Young, the former chairman, who I know was there in the dark days at Barora when they were down near the bottom of the league. And he told me years ago about a wee tale. You know, he wasn't being boastful about it. He was just telling me the reality, which was the club came within a few hours of going bust. And he actually emptied his own bank account to to save the club at that time. And, you know, guys like him and the secretary, Kevin Mackay, there was a really moving tribute to the late tea lady, um, Sheena Manson, who died sadly at the age of 89 uh, last month. And I thought it was a credit to Stephen Mackay and both players who came forward for interview that at a time when they were celebrating their best moment, probably in their career, they spared a thought for her, her family. Um, there was some real emotion behind their words. And you could tell, I mean, one of the phrases used was, we just loved her to bits. You know, she was like a, almost like a mother to these players. And it was credited to her. You know, of course, there was a minute silence before the game for her as well. So. I think, um, you know, the whole evening will stay with me just because it was um, a wonderful football performance, but a deserved sort of reward for a, for a great wee football club. You mentioned that it's a reward for your end-of-season form with Cali Thistle. What was it that clicked for you the last few months of the season, do you think? Just uh, Neil McCann saying to me, you can't run back, basically, <laughs> with the ball. That's what he said to me. I think it was after the Aloha game. I kept turning back and he just said, and I went past a went past the boys twice and he was like, just do that every time. He said, why do you keep turning back? And then after the, and then we played Rafe on the Friday night and then that was that. Seven seemed to go from there and thankfully goals came that came the way as well. That's something you've really been looking to add to your game, hasn't it? That extra bit in front of goal. Yeah, definitely. Because I've said numerous times before, I need to start adding goals. I need to start adding goals, and it just takes one or two to go in for the confidence to kick on so fancy that happened and you could see that last couple of games of the season I think especially after the the derby as well that goal against County you were just on cloud nine yeah definitely it definitely helped um, score the goal against County and kick on for the rest of the season in fact just gave me a bit more calm in front of goal as you could probably see I started not snatching at things and it just became easy that's what happens when you're on confidence and obviously playing against scoring against County can have done any more for my confidence so no it was a good to end the year on a, a good run of goal scoring form and showing what I used to do in the youth level and score goals week in week out I was talking to Charlie Christie actually about not just you but all the young guys in, in the Cali Thistle team this season and he said he had a few words with you throughout the season and again I think there's that one particularly just like that's the Daniel Mackay he knew yeah that's what he said to me I think it was after the one of the Rafe games I think it was he said to me so that's what you're about. He said, I've not seen this in about a year and a half and that. And I said, I know. I said, it's good to feel like I'm playing my best football again. Just the unfortunate thing, there was no fans at the ground to see the best of me and I'm away. But hopefully in the streams and that, they've seen the player that I could have, that should have been over the two, three years that I was there. Is it a bit bittersweet in a way to be leaving without having that last round in front of the fans? Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a hard choice to leave because I've been at the club since I was eight years old but I knew myself with the way I was playing I need to need to get a move now while it's strike while I'm on top so that was the main reason and then speaking to Hibs obviously attracted me but it is disappointing that I never got to have a good season in front of the fans but hopefully I'll see them in a game when they're back in the Premier League Yeah absolutely and 
How do you look back at your time over at Cali Thistle? Because there was a lot of hype, I think, when you first broke into the first team and then injuries went against you before everything finally came together. How, how do you judge the last few years? It started brilliantly. In the middle, it went horribly wrong. At the end, it went well, eventually. Just injuries stalled my, my performance, my playing well and stuff for a wee while, and then confidence as well. We've obviously... It's a huge thing in football, and especially as a kind of player I am. Confidence is huge, so thankfully now it's thankfully now it's all going well and how it was meant to go. So I'm glad it happened, but it happened in its own wee roundabout of ways. I think I've spoken to you before about the the mental tests that you've had over the years. Do you think that'll actually stand you in quite good stead now going at the Premiership, having all that behind you? Yeah, definitely. I've played I think it's eighty plus games now. I've gone through injuries. I've gone through. Been out of the team. I've gone through sitting on the bench. I've done it all. I've been through a lot for someone that's only 20, year, 20 years old. So I can definitely see it all hold me in good stead for the years coming. So when you look back at your time at Cali Thistle, what are some of the highlights that come to mind? I think there's an obvious one. Um, obviously, scoring against County was a dream come true. As long as the other ones that I've had, making my debut. Obviously winning the Challenge Cup at the time when I was 16, that was brilliant as well. But probably scoring my debut because that was always something I dreamed of and the county were two top memories in Burness. Yeah, because you leave not just as somebody who's had a big impact on the club this season, but as a record breaker, the youngest ever appearance maker, the youngest ever goal scorer. I mean, you must be so proud of that. Yeah, definitely. It was something I didn't expect to happen. And when it happened, it took a while to sink in. But now looking back and having time, it's a good reward and it's good to see that I've made a difference in the club in some way and broken a few records. I've never seen a week like it in terms of one story that's just generated so much controversy. Uh, of course, we're speaking about uh, Mulkey Mackay being appointed the manager of Ross County. And the reactions from the fans has just blown me away. I don't know about you. I know. It's been stronger than I anticipated. I thought there'd be some controversy, but to have so much outcry across social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, you know, it's 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 a lot. And in a way, I'm a little impressed to see it because it's a lot of people standing up for principles rather than putting the club first almost if that makes sense maybe that's not the right way of putting it but it's, it's obviously a very controversial move because of the allegations in Malky Mackay's past I, I'm calling them allegations I felt a little awkward about doing that in this week's papers because there was an investigation by the English FA and no charges were brought even though there is evidence out there on various social media um, that Malky Mackay made racist, sexist and homophobic comments in his time managing Cardiff City, I believe, that only came to light after he had left the club. A lot of people say, especially after Roy McGregor's comments uh, last weekend, that they were looking to find out what the club really stood for, what the identity of the club was. A lot of people think that this isn't the way forward. This isn't the identity that Ross County should be associating themselves with. Look, I can totally understand all the outcry on social media. What's your take on it, Will? I think the fans are justified to react the way they are. Yes, the allegations were back at his time at Cardiff City, which was 2013, uh, off the top of my head. Yeah, But it just shows you that people remember. 
Uh, I think he faced the same sort of backlash when he was at Wigan Athletic and even when he was appointed performance director at the Scottish FA and interim manager as well. The, the one thing about this whole issue is it, it, it's generated such negative feedback, not in his abilities as a football coach, but as a manager. The negativity has just come from the allegations which uh, arose during his time as manager of Cardiff City. People still remember that. And the, the amount of messages we've seen on social media and people just responding to our articles, it, it's just negative to the point where a number of fans are saying they're no longer going to support Ross County. That's the strength of feeling. And you have to agree with... Well, I have. I agree with the fans are saying. I, they've got their principles. What the allegations at the time, they were of a, a nature that just wasn't very pleasant, to be fair, and not really something that you would associate with society today. Um, whether he's the right man for the job at Ross County is one thing. But it's the fact that do these two factors fit together? Is the allegations that Mackay received previously fitting with what Ross County want to be? Because Ross County say they're, they're more than just a football club, they're a community club, they're a family club, they're the club for the Highlands. Do the club's principles fit in with what Mackay has faced in the past? And a lot of fans are saying no, but it's a done deal now. So what happens in the future remains to be seen. Regardless of whether Mackay achieves success or not at Ross County, will he ever be welcomed by the fans? And the, the other point I've got to make is, at a time when we're coming out of the pandemic and the club is trying to welcome fans back into the stadium, they're trying to welcome back advertisers who will hopefully start making money again during the pandemic, they'll be relying on hospitality of some sort to start again. How much of this is going to be hampered by this appointment? You know, more than just results on the pitch isn't going to harm Ross County off the pitch. Is this something that's been taken into consideration? What do you think? Well, let me just say first off, it's, that it's ironic that we're talking about all these issues and they've all been thrust way back in the spotlight after what happened with Brecon City and Kelty Hearts playoff last weekend. And you touched on it in your column at the start of the week in the Inverness Courier as well, Will. We've seen so much talk over the last year or so about mental health and there are anti-racism campaigns and anti-homophobia campaigns in football and this is going to bring up all of those conversations again. So purely on optics, and I'm not even giving my opinion on this, but purely on optics, it's a terrible move because that association is still there with Malky Mackay and that now in turn, is going to be associated with Ross County. So that's that's not good for them. For me, I'm a little bit conflicted on this because I was like probably a lot of the fans out there when I first looked at the odds and saw that Malky Mackay was the heavy favourite. My reaction was, oh, please, no, based on, on what the allegations have been and what his reputation has become. You can try and separate him as a manager and those comments he made. And if you just look at him as a manager if anything this is a coup for Ross County the level he's managed at you know what he's done with Cardiff was absolutely phenomenal on the pitch his role with the SFA as performance director 
it was transformational for Scottish football. We're now seeing the likes of Billy Gilmore and Nathan Patterson in the Euro squad. He played a huge role in that process behind the scenes of getting those youngsters through into senior football and, and improving the standard of youngsters in the Scottish game. However, <laughs> we come back to these allegations, right? And part of me really wants to say that they were eight years ago. He might have changed by now, right? You have to give people second chances. But he hasn't come out and said, even in the press conference this week when he was unveiled, which we'll get onto in a little bit, there was no apology for what he'd said. And I'm not aware of him publicly coming out and renouncing what had been done at the time he denied that he had been sexist and homophobic. I, I think he kind of left racist to the side there because that was a slightly harder charge to dodge. He did get some support after going through quality and diversity training from Kick It Out, the anti-racism campaign, but I'm all for giving people second chances, but I think he needs to actually come out and, and be a bit more honest and be a bit more transparent, maybe the word rather than honest, about what he has actually done since then and what he's actually learned and how his opinions and how he acts has changed for that to actually have a knock-on effect on changing supporters' minds. And you're talking about sponsors and hospitality and, and having an effect and all of that because right now it, it's going to be very interesting to see how many people actually stay away from Dingwall. And, and that's the question is how many people are going to stay away and not how many people are going to turn up. We're not going to know the answer to that for a little while yet, but based on the immediate reaction on social media and that's not always indicative of the support as a whole it's really not looking good for him or the club no no of course it's been uh, busy at the other side of the bridge uh, with a new manager appointed at Inverness Caledonian Fissile and uh, was the heavy favourite Billy Dodds yeah, he'd been in the mix, according to basically everyone for a wee while finally got confirmed on Wednesday I don't think it was a huge surprise to anyone just because his name had been touted for so long. Personally, I think it's a, a decent enough move. It keeps the continuity going. You know, he's experienced. He's been watching the team for years as part of his media work. He's lived in the area for a long time now. It's the first time he's stepping up to be a manager as opposed to a number two. But fresh ideas. I'm, I'm quite excited to see where this one goes, actually. The appointment of John Robertson as sporting director I always thought it would have a massive influence on who was appointed as head coach. And even though Billy Dodds was always the heavy favourite, as time and time went on, I was starting to think, is it going to be a younger guy that's going to be appointed a head coach for a role that would probably be acted like the master teaching the apprentice or in Star Wars terms, the Jedi teaching the Padawan? Now, I know this is Billy Dodds' first full-time manager gig. I know he was caretaker manager at Dungeon United, but he's also very experienced as an assistant at Ross County as well as at Queen of the South and Dundee. So I know Don Cowie was banded about a lot, and I thought as time went on, there was a very good chance that he might become the head coach or just someone of his age or someone um, that's been a coach just with his ambition. But... Um, like I said, I think it's the right appointment. Um, I think Billy more than proved himself as a coach with uh, Neil McCann. Uh, those two deserve a lot of credit of how they managed to turn uh, Cali Fissel around. So then the one strength that uh, John Robertson will bring to help Billy Dodds is identify players who 
are of good quality and are capable of playing at a higher level. And hopefully this time bringing Cali Fissel to play to a higher level. I'm speaking of like said Jamie McCart and Sean Rooney who have gone on to become double cup winners now. You've got Cole Donaldson at Ross County. You've got Daniel Mackay who's now on his way to Hibernian. But I'm also thinking the last season you'll get players like uh, Scott Arlardyce, arguably one of the best players uh, at Cali Fissel. He was player's player of the year uh, jointly with Nikolai Todorov. You've got David Carson who's a sensation uh, last season with Cali Fissel. So the one thing that John Robertson can do is spot a good player. And uh, yes, Scott Garner said Billy Dawes will have the first call and the last call. But I- I'm sure that uh, John Robertson has got to be in a guidance uh, role regarding of what players he think can do a job for Inverness. And I think that will benefit the club and Billy as well. I think that's quite a nice place to end this first half of our look back at Balls and Puzzles in 2021. We've covered a lot of stuff in that episode, to be fair. I kind of forgot just how much actually happened in the first part of the year. We were talking about the Highland League getting shut down. Uh, We had that exclusive episode with Stuart Kettlewell. John Robertson stepped down as Cali Thistle manager. Neil McCann came in. We had debates about VAR and Colts teams potentially coming into League 2. Roar Rangers pulled off that amazing Scottish Cup upset over Hearts. We had that chat with Daniel Mackay when he went and signed for Hibs and left Inverness Caledonian Thistle. And just at the end there, we talked about Malky Mackay being appointed the Ross County manager and Billy Dodds becoming the Cali Thistle head coach. I am conscious that was a very football-heavy look back, but I think we need to remember as well, there wasn't a huge amount of other sport happening in the first half of the year. Rugby wasn't back, you know, the summer sports hadn't started up again. A lot of the time it was just football back then. So that's the reason for that. Apologies for anybody who might have been tuning in specifically for some non-football stuff. There will be a lot more of that coming next week. Don't you worry about that. I thought it was quite interesting to hear some of our perspectives and, and some things that may have happened, may have not happened since then. Obviously the Colts debate didn't come into League 2 in the end, but the Celtic and Rangers Colts did go into the Lowland League. VAR looks like it is going to be coming to Scotland in 2022. Uh, it was interesting to hear our optimism about Brewer Rangers in the Cup beating Hearts, knocking them out, considering what then happened afterwards with going out in the next round, losing the Pyramid Playoff Final, and then the change of manager at the start of this season. That is one thing I can almost guarantee will be on next week's episode, looking back at the second half of 2021. Just before I properly go with this week's episode, I should say a big thank you to all of the different voices you just heard there in order of appearance, not including myself and sports editor Will Clark. Uh, You heard Johnny Clark, Stuart Cattlewell, Neil McCann, Alistair Fraser, Craig Christie, Daniel Mackay. So thank you to all of those people for chatting to us, whether that was in a formal press conference setting or one of our colleagues coming on and doing the podcast. Very much appreciated and I hope you have all enjoyed listening to it as well. Like I say, there's plenty more to come next week. So make sure you tune in for our second half of our retrospective of 2021. We've only just made it into June, so there's still plenty more to come. And I do promise there will be some stuff that isn't all football. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. 